0: Have you ever been walking through a dark set of woods and everything just goes quiet? Welcome back to The Swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true deep woods horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net. Now, without further ado, let us jump right into these creepy and allegedly true Deep Woods Horror Stories, that'll freak you out tonight. This experience has left me feeling entirely unnerved. I live in Australia, and go hunting from time to time. When this happened, I was about 13 years old when my father and I went hunting deer in the Victorian Highlands. We had gotten to a property that started in the bottom of a valley went about halfway up a mountain. It then became a pine plantation that went up the rest of the way, which we had also gotten permission to hunt on. The other side was national land for roughly the next 75 kilometers. We had already hunted down in the valley and on the other side. Still, this side of the valley was noticeably darker and more relaxed than the rest of the area due to the density of the trees. This may be relevant if you believe in coincidence. I'll explain this later. It was also less populated, with the owners living at the base of the property and their neighbors just across the road, but very few people elsewhere, especially further up the mountain. We had already camped there before at the bottom of the plantation. The plantation was about 30 years old and getting overgrown, with numerous thickets and even older plantations next to it which were highly green. We planned to hike up into it before it started to get dark, so we could get a deer or some sort of rabbit. There were open paddocks at the base of the property, perfect for deer and stuff like that. I'm a rather old-fashioned individual. When I was young, I would carry a 303 rifle with a 10-shot magazine, good for stopping power, and for the gun nerds listening, it's specifically a number 1 MK1 that was converted into a sporting rifle years before I acquired it, with open sights, which are acceptable for the ranges that we would be shooting at. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm good at it. However, I struggle to see the sights correctly whenever it gets dark and can't shoot straight. Because of this, we planned to head back down in the dark since there wasn't much point sticking around if I couldn't hit anything. So after waiting for something to show up and having not much of any luck, we started heading back. We had to cross back through a few gullies packed with blackberry bushes, making them incredibly difficult to cross back through. We could get into small access trails back down to our camp eventually, but it would take some time to get to them. So it took us about an hour to cover 500 meters. We were moving slowly and quietly in the hopes of getting a deer. We were moving slowly and quietly on purpose in the hopes of maybe getting a deer last minute. We stopped halfway to the trail because we heard movement. It sounded like something was in or behind a thicket on our right. It was extremely thick and dense, so that I couldn't see anything inside of it. The noises I could hear were not precisely odd. They were heavy and repeated impacts, the snapping of twigs and branches, the sounds you would expect from a mob of kangaroos. And sure enough, a large group of kangaroos came from behind the thicket and moved off into the trees. Okay, thank God, nothing was off about this but the intense feeling of being watched by something freaked me out and hadn't gone away. It felt like it was coming from that thicket and didn't subside when the mob moved off. Also, the kangaroos looked like they had been behind the thicket and not in it, and since it was so dark, I doubt the mob could have seen us. Definitely, they would have heard us though. Through the darkness, the feeling didn't start to go away until we made our way out of the pines and back to our camp. When we went to sleep for the night, I think this was just due to my paranoia, but I think I saw something moving just outside the light of our campfire, which I can explain as wallabies moving past, I guess. Still, we did have a herd of deer randomly walk right through our camp in the middle of the night, which was a stroke of luck as my father got his gun just in time to shoot one before they got away, making the trip an ultimate success. Pretty ironic that we had to hike up and down a mountain looking for deer when they came to us in the end. In the morning, I was tired and secretly still a bit creeped out, so I chose not to go for the early morning walk with my dad. While getting some breakfast, I felt like I was being watched. Not quite the same as earlier, but I could still feel that feeling. My father got back after about two hours, and he had managed to get a stag and needed help dragging it out. He told me to bring my rifle as there were other deer with the stag, and my father hoped I would at least get one. When we got near the stag's body, which was just inside a clump of bushes, we could see movement around it, and to our surprise, two dogs came barreling out at us. They didn't try to attack us, but they were very hostile. They had been eating the body and did not want to share, and they were definitely feral. Feral dogs are shoot on sight in Australia because of how much damage they do to farmers' livestock and the local wildlife, so that is precisely what we did. Nothing else seemingly strange happened for the rest of that trip. But a year later, my father and I went out again. This time, we brought my sister, who was a couple of years older than me, in quite the logical no-nonsense type. That time, I again felt watched. Afterward, my sister said she felt the exact same feeling and that she felt like she needed to protect us. I haven't told anyone about that feeling, not even my dad. My father has been hunting since he was my age, through this area and many others. I think he is utterly oblivious to that sort of thing. So I was shocked to hear my no-nonsense sister even mention something like that. I have been out there a couple of times since, and I no longer feel that way, at least not now. Maybe I've just gotten used to it. At the time, I thought the feeling was me being young and uncomfortable in the dark, and the two dogs potentially watching us. I also thought the second time I felt I was being watched was due to a third dog we hadn't seen in the area before, but I don't know. The thing is though, when I was 11, I had gone with my father into a far more remote area. I was too young, so I legally couldn't carry a firearm there, but I did have a knife. That was nearly overrun with packs of wild dogs and herds of deer, and I never had this feeling any time being there, it would be wrong for me to claim to be well informed about Aboriginal legends and dream times and stuff like that, but I have heard stories about wendigos and washugays and skinwalkers Maybe there was something like that going on while we were out there. At the start of 2022, my husband and I found ourselves homeless. In our area, this has become a growing problem. More and more of us were outdoors. Spring, summer, and even fall are usually not a reason for panic, but the dead of winter in the mountains of North Carolina is a different story. My husband's best friend offered to obtain permission for us to stay temporarily in an abandoned double wide at the bottom of his driveway. We had no power save for a drop cord and no water, but it was protection from the elements. The first day I walked into the trailer, I remarked that I smelled something like death nearby. But it was abandoned, and, you know, probably just some sort of dead animal under the house. We had to keep the window of the small room we squatted in open as my husband started having the first symptoms of what we would eventually find out was congestive heart failure. Now, to set the scene, this little trailer was stuck in between a thicket of woods, so we were basically living in the middle of nowhere with a view of nothing but trees. We were getting ready to go out one day with my husband's best friend when I heard an animal walking through the briars behind the double wide. It sounded as if it was moving near the underpinning. I continued what I was doing. Presently, I had heard the strangest noise. It was like a cat. When those cats make those crazy noises when they're fighting or in heat or whatever. However, I could almost make out actual words from this one. It sounded as if something was having a garbled conversation with itself. "'Scott,' I whispered. "'What the hell is that?' "'A talking, uh, cat?' said my husband flatly. "'Oh, a talking cat. I'll see if it's hungry,' my crazy-ass thought. "'Here, kitty, here, kitty,' I was leaning out the window. "'Are you hungry?' Scott grew silent. Thinking back, he was probably frozen behind me, mouth open wide. The cat sounded like it was, uh, speaking to us, but it was like demonic, it was insane. My husband looked absolutely horrified as this cat was seemingly replying to everything I was asking it. I put a piece of processed meat on an old chair we had placed outside the window and we used as a step stool to enter and leave. The cat, obviously not hungry, stared vacantly at the meat and then inside the window. I knew Scott was not a cat person, but I was curious about what would happen if I asked another question. Do you want to come in and visit? I asked with a stupid grin on my face. The cat seemingly answers and jumps right into the open window. The cat had long fur that was black with a white chest. It was matted and tangled with burrs and pieces of briar. It had to have been a stray as I had never remembered seeing it lurking around the house up the hill or anything like that. I just assumed it didn't belong to Scott, his buddy, or his grandma. It rubbed against my leg and then went to Scott, who stared dumbly down at it, not knowing what to, what kind of reaction to have. Okay, I said. We have to leave. I'm shutting this door, but the window is open. Let yourself out. We left, and when we returned, the cat was gone. A few nights later, we were up late. We had connected a small lamp to the extension cord running power from up the hill, We were hanging out and discussing plans while trying to de-stress. The window was once again open. I overlooked the time, but some people embellish with the oh my god, it's the witching hour type thing. But it was pitch black and dark, no moonlight this night. We heard a light rustling sound coming from the woods, and some strange animal sounds approaching the back of the trailer. It was the cat talking again, except... not. Something was all wrong. It sounded... uh just straight-up demonic. This was like trying to impersonate a cat and copy a human. I looked out the window but could see nothing but darkness. My blood turned to ice. I backed into the corner of the small bedroom, away from the window. Get away from the window, Scott, I warned breathlessly. Meanwhile, it sounded as if whatever was trying to sound like the cat from a few days prior was calling out to us. It was failing miserably. Scott moved away from the window, trying to appear stoic about the whole situation, is that your cat? He asked. My silly sing-song tone was wavering now. The cat yowled as before but sounded warped with an undertone of strangled bass in its voice. I said, Well, I don't need to show you how to get in, do I? Scott shot me a you idiot type look. The cat scratched around outside, mumbling something unintelligible. We waited nearly holding our breath. There was a period of dead silence. The not-cat did not jump through the window. I told Scott I was pretty sure that wasn't a cat. Scott slammed the window down. I don't know what was outside that window, but it was not that cat, and it could have came in at any time to get us, but for some reason it didn't. I'm not afraid to be outside in the dark around here, but there is no damn way either of us are going outside alone at night. Greetings, and let me tell you all a short but frightening event that happened to a friend and myself a couple of months ago on the Palmetto Trail in South Carolina. The trail is an old railroad, with thick woods on each side, and almost wide enough to drive a small truck or car on. It also has some sections of elevated boardwalks or bridges. Some of the wooden structures run over creeks and or bogs. This one night, as we were heading back towards the trailhead, we encountered something. It was so dark out. If not for our bike lights, we wouldn't have been able to see anything. We would have been essentially completely blind. As we were ripping the trail, playing cat and mouse, we approached one of the elevated boardwalks. My friend was in front of me, hammering down a bit ahead of me. To my immediate left in the darkness came a rushing shadow and the sounds of sticks snapping. I glanced back behind me, seeing what, at first, I thought was a coyote. It almost looked like a cross between a spider, a coyote, with some sort of mange. When it scattered across the wooden area, it almost drifted in a fluid-like motion to only shift and began running on two legs. Holy crap, what is that? I said to myself, and shifted into warp speed. I was pedaling, super aggressively. I snapped a tooth on my chainring. I have never been so out of breath since I caught up with my friend. He asked me why I was so pale. Let's just say I didn't mention to him what I saw, as I didn't want to freak them out. Thank you, Swamp Dweller, you are the best. Thank you for sharing these stories, I really appreciate it. I think it might have been some sort of skimwalker, but I don't really want to jump to conclusions. Today's episode is sponsored by my podcast, The Dark Side of YouTube. If you're a fan of true crime, dark rabbit holes, and YouTube mysteries then this is the show for you. Hosted by the wonderful Autumn Ivy, we jump into a deep dive of a singular case every single week. So far, we've covered the likes of Onision, Randy Stare, Eric Auvinen, the Elsa Gate Conspiracy, EDP 445, and that's just the beginning. We're planning on covering many, many more. Join us every single week over on the Dark Side Podcast channel. You can find a link in the description as well as on my channel page. Thank you guys so much for the support. Now let's get back into these creepy, deep woods horror stories. I'll go by sea. I live in Oregon, so there's no shortage of forest to explore or relax in. Most of the time it's fun, but other times it becomes terrifying. I have a couple of experiences to share about such occasions. A couple of years ago, My friend Jay invited me to explore an abandoned building with him that he had found about a year prior. Is it a house? Because there's a lot of those that aren't actually abandoned, and I'm not trying to get shot. I inquired. No, but it reminded me of like a bunker, you know? I don't know for sure, though. It was just like a concrete box with wide double doors and what looked like some sort of ventilation shaft on top of it. Jay replied. Do you know if it's abandoned? Have you been inside? No. The first time I went there, the doors were wide open, but I think someone was there. The second time, the doors were shut and locked, explained Jay. Were there any signs of, like, fences that said it was government property or not to trespass? None that I saw. I was curious and bored, so I agreed to go the following day. We got our backpacks ready for the morning. It was going to be a 13-mile walk to the bunker. We left my house around noon and arrived at the dirt road that led to our destination about 10.30 at night. The woods in this area were highly dense, which already diminished poor visibility to nothing. The woods were so thick that even a raccoon would have difficulty staying entirely quiet. I could barely see three feet in front of me and couldn't see the ground at all. In my blindness, I almost walked right into the gate that blocked the dirt road off. I thought you said there were no signs or fences, I whispered loud enough for Jay to hear. I don't remember that being here, Jay replied. We continued walking down the dirt road before resorting to the flashlights we had brought, not wanting to walk right past our destination. After a few minutes, my flashlight passed over something on the right-hand side of the road. Upon closer inspection, it was a power supply station terminal room. It stood about seven feet tall and about 15 feet inside a chain-link fence lined with razor and barbed wire at the top. It looked like nobody had maintained it correctly for nearly 20 years. It was practically buried in tree branches, moss, and dirt. However, the low yet overbearing hum of electricity could be heard from 30 feet away. I hope this isn't what you were talking about, I said, looking at Jay. That's when I noticed that he was sitting in the bunker. It was as he described, except that the mud and underbrush had nearly engulfed the entire corner of the roof. The double-wide steel doors had a chain looped through the gates, handles with a padlock securing it. The handles themselves were locked, as well as deadbolted. The doors were shut as if the handle, deadbolt, and chain with the padlock weren't overboard enough. I had been trying to ignore a growing sense of unease since I had observed how run down the power station was, but now I couldn't miss it. I decided to attribute it to the eerie setting and try to forget about it, continuing my inspection for possible entrance routes. My attention drifted to the ventilation shaft. It had an inch and a half thick of plate steel bolted to the concrete fixture. Three or four of the bolts had been removed by Jay in his previous visit, and he had lifted the plate upwards enough to bend it barely. I grabbed a bolt from the roof and removed it in the opening, listening for it to hit the ground. I counted to six before I heard it connect. Afterward, we cleared a spot on the roof to have a fire to cook. Then, once the fire got strong enough, we ate and started talking about the bunker and its layout inside. As far as the doors go, there's no way we can get through them, Jay said. I don't mean to sound cliche, but there are only two reasons to seal something so thoroughly. To keep people out or to keep something in. And I don't think anyone would weld doors that they would open again. I also don't think they'd have so much trouble with an empty building, so there's either another more hidden entrance that's accessible, or there's something that somebody wants to be forgotten. Yeah, nobody would do that for an empty 15-square-foot room. It's an entrance room, I started to say. But with how long it took that bolt to hit the ground, there has to be some ladder or staircase down. My sentence was cut off by the fire exploding. When I said it exploded, it sounded like a gunshot went off, and the sticks that made up the fire were scattered 5-10 to ten feet away in all directions. Some even flew from the bunker's roof into the road. After we'd gathered the now smoldering and flameless sticks to try to revive the fire, we didn't talk much. About an hour had passed when Jade looked at me and said, Did you hear that? No, I replied. It sounded like somebody was calling your name towards the highway he said, pointing forward vaguely. For the next few hours, the dead silence of the woods was only broken by the gentle pattering of rain on leaves and mud, and occasionally, sounds that seemed to come from the inside of the bunker. Sometimes it was what sounded like voices, other times footsteps or animal-like noises, or something hitting a wall or running, but nothing that could identify what I heard for sure. Randomly, I heard a voice from around ten feet behind me whisper loudly, "'See?' which caused me to jump from my chair and look around. Behind me, there were only densely packed trees and underbrush. You hear that? I asked Jay. Yeah, we need to leave. We had somehow managed to restrain ourselves from running away and leaving our belongings until collecting them all. We ran straight for the highway as soon as possible, hoping to avoid whatever was around in the bunker. We hadn't used each other's names the entire time we were there, which made us both get chills just thinking about it. The voices area was so dense with trees and brush that even a raccoon would have not been able to make a noise that we would hear, I swear. I still don't know what happened that night. A year or two before visiting the bunker, I was sitting in a small patch of wood a couple of blocks away from my house, unwinding from a long day of work. I'm nearsighted, so when things are far away, when I'm not wearing my glasses, they are very blurry. Unlike at the bunker, I didn't have my glasses on. It was around 8.30 or 9 at night. But the sky was clear enough that the moon's light was more than enough to see even at a distance. I was sitting in a clearing when out of the corner of my eye I noticed a light brown blur where there was usually only the green of the trees. I mostly shrugged it off thinking that it must have been a dead bush that I didn't notice prior because for just a split moment I looked at it. It looked like it had branches swaying in the gentle breeze. For some reason something in my gut told me to look around at the rest of my surroundings. The other bushes, not even the thin blades of grass, were moving, so I looked back and made eye focus on what I was seeing. It almost looked human. It was standing on two legs, but it barely had shorter legs and slightly longer arms that hung at knee level. It's light tan, almost the color of bright leather. It seemed to stretch over its already lean, but yet muscular body. A primordial sense of doom and dread completely overtook me, just as I was about to look at its face. It took a single, casual step forward, which somehow cleared 5 feet. It was about 20 feet away before it took a step, so I ran down the path I used to get to the opposite direction. I could hear this thing's thundering footsteps gaining on me until I rounded one of the curves in the road. They vanished as soon as I rounded the corner, like they were never there. There was only one way to get to the road beside the way I went, and that was a path in the opposite direction that I ran so I had already reached quote-unquote safety of the streetlights when I noticed it. To my horror, this thing was standing on the edge of the streetlight on the alternate path on the road. I couldn't verify this, but it looked like it was smiling through pointy, menacing teeth. My name is Amber, and I live here in Asheville, North Carolina with my dog, Captain. Captain is the love of my life. He's an Alaskan Klee Kai Husky with a primarily black coat, but with streaks of white fur around his legs and face, not to mention little rings of dark hair around his pale blue eyes that make him look like a Hamburglar. I rescued him from a shelter when he was just a puppy right after my fiancé moved out to Hong Kong for work. He helped me through the initial loneliness on the nights when I couldn't handle getting into an empty bed for the 50th time. And in the years that followed, when my husband decided he would be better off starting a family with a Chinese woman he had met through his job. Captain helped me through the heartbreak. Captain is a big guy, a woofer if you will. While other dogs need walks, Captain needs hikes. Therefore, every weekend on the past few years, I would drive him out to the Nantahala National Forest, one of the few places he could be. Dogs aren't meant to be indoors, they need to run and explore, and a place like Nantahala is, coincidentally, Epic for both of us. Nantahala was a place I could lose myself, a place to escape the pressure of a high pressure job. The woods were a place of sanctuary to me, but that all changed on a chilly October day when I realized that there is a damned good reason why human beings have walked themselves off into cities and towns. Because the wilderness, it seems, is not our friend. Captain was always his happiest in the woods. For such a majestic animal, he has an uncanny ability to be goofy as hell, and the woods brought that out of him in spades. He'd be so lost in the feeling of pure freedom, his wide blue eyes, his tongue lolling out of the side of his mouth, riding the wave of zoomies that inevitably had me laughing at how dorky he acted. So you could imagine how quickly I noticed a change in his behavior, how he went from being such a loud, boisterous dog to a quivering, whining wreck that barely ventured a few feet away from me, at any one time. In all the time I had been taking Captain out to Nantahala, I had never seen him act in such a way. And when I laid a hand on his neck to give him a stroke, I discovered he was trembling in fear. My first thought was that maybe a mountain lion could have been in the area, but a previous encounter with what I figure was a predator scent trail had caused Captain to bark incessantly and become overly aggressive. This was back in the fall of last year. During the previous summer, the Nantahala area had seen a sharp increase in black bear activity, with homeowners being encouraged to be more careful. Captain might have sniffed out a mama bear and cubs, so he was right to be cautious. But he wasn't just conservative, he was outright terrified. I had no idea what to make of such a situation, but one thing was clear, Captain wanted out, and consequently so did I. There was only one big problem with such a plan, We had already spent like two hours hiking into the woods. Getting out would not be quick or easy. With every step the tension grew, Captain looking behind me with wild, terrified eyes darting ahead before double backing to whine at me. Each footstep seemed a little quicker than the last, my utter paranoia growing to a fever pitch as I eventually looked behind me and continually saw nothing. But something was behind us. Captain knew it, and they could feel it. At one point he bounded back to my side and froze, staring off into the dense forest as he sniffed the air before him. I thought the worst was over, but I was wrong. With a yelp so loud it hurt my ears he burst off through the trees ahead, howling barks punctuating his canine gallop. That's when I heard a rustling in the trees behind me, and with a terror so rampant, I can still feel it to this day, I heard something behind me breathing. It was huge. I just ran, following the sound of Captain's bark, Crashing through the dense trees as dry branches tore at my bare skin of my face. Many times in my life I've felt uncomfortable, been anxious, or downright scared. This experience dwarfed them all. No emotion can compare to knowing you're being hunted by something you cannot reason or bargain with. Something that will crunch your bones into a meal and not feel a goddamn thing about it. I ran harder and longer than I ever have in my life so intensely that when I finally had to stop to draw breath, I found myself dry retching against a tree trunk. Out of exhaustion, out of fear, out of pure biological imperative, making me as light and mobile as possible. But there could be no respite. Captain's furious barks made that abundantly clear. We had to keep moving. It was that or be eaten alive. With tears in my eyes, I carried on running, hurling through the forest, the thicket so dense I was running half-blind. This was made painfully obvious when I caught my foot on a fallen tree trunk and was sent flying into the dirt. The impact knocked the wind out of me, and with an ugly grunt, I rolled onto my back, struggling for breath. I saw Captain appear at my side. He had been my hero so many times before and wasn't about to fail me now. His barks were wild, full of rage, his sharp teeth exposed as he poured the raw force of his being into the woods behind us. It was terrifying and awe-inspiring to behold, and at that moment I thanked God that he was on my side. But not even Captain could maintain the display, for when the unseen thing hunting us seemed to roar back at it through the trees, Captain was silenced. He rushed over to me, taking the collar of my waterproof coat between his teeth and trying to drag me along the forest floor. But I was renewed by terror, biological imperative, and the goddamn raw need to survive. I was back on my feet, running panting, scrambling for life. I remember there being a moment, when I was terrified that Captain might leave me, how the fear might prove too much for him to handle. There was so much of the forest for him to escape into, but he never once failed to double back and find me. Even when he was out of sight, he continued barking furiously so I'd know where he'd run to. That was when I burst through a set of particularly thick bushes to find Captain stationary at a riverbank. It wasn't at all that wide or all that deep, but it was just enough of an obstacle to halt his progress. You see, Captain hated water. I don't know if it was something that happened to him as a puppy before we adopted him from the shelter, but Captain has always hated it. You couldn't get him to walk within six feet of any of the pools, rivers, or lakes. Therefore, seeing that river on our way terrified me on a whole new level. At a pure instinct, I jumped across. As I said, it wasn't extensive. But the exhaustion of running for so long meant I could only barely make the jump. I turned, knowing Captain wouldn't even attempt to leap without encouragement or direction. My voice was trembling as I spoke Come on, boy! Jump, jump, jump to Mama! Please, boy, please, come to Mama! It was horrendous watching his eyes, so full of confusion, saying without words, Why are you making me do this? I watched him pace up and down the riverbank as the thing hunting grew closer and closer. Ultimately, I was begging him, pleading with him, promising steak dinners for an entire year if he would just get his ass across that river. He froze for a moment, sizing up the gap before sprinting off among the trees. Again, that terrifying feeling absolutely gripped me. He couldn't do it. He was so afraid of the water that in the moment of pure panic, he fled into the direction of the thing chasing us. It felt like an eternity. I was standing there on the riverbank, praying that he'd reappear, somehow convincing myself that he would. Eventually, he did. He burst from the foliage in one glorious moment, hurling towards the river's edge at breakneck speed. As he reached the bank, his legs unfurled like springs, sending him sailing through the air high above the river. It's funny, the little details you remember from a traumatic event. And one of the things that stick out to me are Captain's eyes as he jumped over that river. They were huge, these massive pale blue circles that seemed to shine out of the rings of black fur around them, almost like he couldn't quite believe what he was going through. And quite frankly, either could I. I mean, when I say he was like an action hero in some hyperbolic 80s movie, the bravery he displayed is something I feel I can only aspire to. Even his landing was dramatic as hell. He barely made it across and was scrambling up the dirt embankment when I leapt towards him, grabbed him by the collar, and pulled him onto the solid ground. When we were up, we took off again with renewed speed, seemingly more terrified of the water than the thing that had been stalking us. I had tears in my eyes before, but at that point... I broke down completely, calling him and staggering with my breath, a good boy, a really good boy. I continued to run, feeling my thighs burn and my feet ache from the miles upon miles that we had been going. I was short of breath, goddamn exhausted. I thought I was about to pass out at any moment. and When I could say I could hear my heart beating in my throat, I'm not exaggerating in the slightest. I'm not an unfit person either. I dance and take spin classes. I do have stamina, but running at almost constant sprint for over an hour definitely is going to send you into overdrive. When I'd reached the peak of yet another gentle incline, my legs gave out from under me. I remember seeing silvery white patches appearing in my vision, and no matter how hard I drew my breath, I couldn't seem to get enough oxygen. When I saw something moving in front of me that wasn't captain, I thought that was it. I thought I'd leave and never wake up again, having been torn apart by whatever wild animal had been chasing us. I woke up in the back seat of a four-seater pickup truck, As soon as I found the strength to sit up, I heard a voice outside the stationary vehicle shout, She's awake! Suddenly the door opened and a person I'd never seen before in my life was offering me a plastic bottle of water and asking if I was okay. I didn't speak. I just took the water from him, gulped three quarters of it down in one long sweet chug. I was panicking when I regained my senses. I couldn't see Captain anywhere. I looked at the stranger dressed in his hunting gear and tried to summon the strength to ask him where my dog was, although the word just didn't come out. The look on my face must have told him all he needed to know. When he told me Captain was fine and just inside their hunting lodge getting a bite to eat, I cried with relief. I was overjoyed that not only was he okay, that I was okay, and we both made it out alive. I burst into tears. The hunter didn't really know what to do, but he was very supportive. I joined them for a couple of hours eating the hamburgers they offered me slowly regaining my strength. We reported everything. I asked if it was possible that a grizzly bear could make it this far down from the Rockies. Most of them said that it could be possible, but unlikely. I don't know. Grizzlies don't make it anywhere near the North Carolina regions anytime, usually. I've done a fair amount of research into that, and I don't know. Maybe I encountered something legendary, but I'm fairly certain. We were chased by a bear and lived to tell the tale. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Deep Woods Horror Stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please be sure to give this show a 5-star rating over there. It's very much appreciated and helps the show grow. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's something in the woods or something different... Be sure to submit it at SwampDweller.net. I'd love to see your story and share it with everyone here in the swamp. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. Much love, everyone, for always supporting this show the way you do. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite tonight. It helps me pick better stories in the future. If you're a fan of true crime, YouTube mysteries, and dark rabbit holes, be sure to check out my second channel, The Dark Side Podcast, where you can find episodes of The Dark Side of YouTube and my other podcast, The Dark Side of Gaming, where we look into the strangest, darkest, and creepiest crimes and mysteries surrounding gaming and YouTube. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Discord. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.